You're listening to a sermon by Covenant Church. To lead us in a time-specific prayer for the things of the world that are going on that I'm sure we all know about. So join me in prayer right now. Dear gracious and merciful Father, creator and sustainer of life, we come to you with heavy hearts over the many devastations that have happened in our world. Lord, we ache over the natural disasters that we've seen recently, uh, floods in Libya, the earthquakes in Morocco. Lord, we pray that you will be with those who have lost loved ones and who have had to endure these catastrophes. We pray for their countries as they rebuild. But Lord, also in, in addition to the natural disasters, Father, there have been those that, the destructions that have happened at human hands, Lord. We have the war right now raging between Israel and the Hamas, and we know that your heart breaks over evil in this world. Lord, as you wait to make all things new and right through your justice and mercy, we pray. We pray this prayer written in the common book of prayer for such as times as these. O oh God, who will set the glory among the nations and cause all peoples to see the judgments of your right hand, have mercy upon us, those who are persecuted by the wicked and unrighteous, and so cause justice to prevail among men, that the meek may inherit the earth and the redeemed praise you for your deliverance. And so, Lord, we place these in your hands. We ask that your merciful hand be upon the wounded and the prisoners. Please encourage the anxious, comfort the bereaved, care for those who are vulnerable, particularly the children. Fortify and strengthen the soldiers who are seeking to do what is right in your eyes and bring quickly this war to an end. This war, the war in Ukraine, Lord, and every war. Lord, we look forward to the day when, Jesus, you will bring an end to all wars. But until then, we do pray for those here on earth who are leading the efforts against evil. And as your word says in 2 Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And so now, Lord, let us all pray for, take a moment of silence, praying to you for these rulers of the world who are in authority, that they would seek peace and that you would grant them wisdom and courage in the face of these atrocities. Lord, we thank you that you are our rock and our fortress, our strong help and our ever-present help in times of trouble. We thank you, too, that you are sovereign and good, opposing the proud and the wicked and those who devise evil, and you uphold the weak, the vulnerable, and the innocent. So we cry out to you on their behalf. And for them and for all of us, we take your word to heart that you spoke in Isaiah, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so we ask you, Lord, to be true to that, that you will uphold us, we who are your children, in your righteous right hand. And now, Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Please turn our hearts to you as we consider the next thing of this amazing gift you give us, which is prayer. And we ask for you to be present here among us as we seek to connect you through prayer and through your spirit and your word. Lord Jesus, we love you. 
We trust you and we commit our prayers to you in humble reliance in the name of Jesus. Amen. So good morning again. It is wonderful to be back here uh, to be able to share the word of God with you. If you haven't been with us, we have been looking at the book of Colossians and we have seen this small book filled with hope and transformation. Um, this book is really about becoming who you are in Christ, which means the already, but also the not yet. The already who you are in Jesus, that you're seen as Christ because of what he has done, but then also the not yet. You're still growing into who God has created you to be. Uh, so if you've not been with us these last few weeks, we've looked at things uh, in Paul's letter, talking about the journey of who Jesus is, starting with Jesus, then who we are in Christ. Then finally, we looked at uh, putting off and putting on. It's kind of the, so what? What does that mean as who we are in Christ? What does that look like? And so we talked about putting off the old, putting on the new. And then even finally last week, we dove into some nitty gritty of what it actually looks like to be those who follow Jesus in our households. Uh, and so we see that all of these things are kind of the build up for this last little section. I like to think of this as like that last loop or curve in a roller coaster and we're soon coasting into the station uh, but next week will be that coasting time when Paul addresses some of those people in his life and really actually shares some intimacy and, and thanks God for them uh, but right before that we get to have one last loop uh, with his exhortation it's a small passage but kind of the last punch that he wants to make sure we leave his letter remembering but before we do that if you are a person who likes to take notes, this is a good opportunity. If not, just think about these things. There's going to be two categories I want us to be thinking about as I preach. There's going to be column A and column B. In the column A part, I want you to think about one person in your life that you find to be encouraging, that you enjoy being with, that you have a good relationship with, that there is a mutual you know, respect and joy between you. And then the second thing under column A is that situation, maybe this week even, that was good. Something that happened that you were excited about, maybe at work, maybe at home, something that was just blessing you and encouraging you. So column A, think of a positive, basically the positive person and a positive situation. Now in B, think about the opposites of those, the negative person, maybe a person in your life that you have a conflict with, that you're finding difficult, that there's just something about the relationship that's not working. Um, it could be a, a long-term thing, or it could have just been an, you know, some kind of conflict this past week. But think about that person, and then think about the same idea of the situation. Was there a situation this week? Kind of negative, something that wasn't joy to experience. Um, again, it could have been a long thing that's been going on in your life, or it could be just one thing that happened this week. So column A and column B, we're going to come back to those two ideas uh, in a bit. But now we're going to read from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, the last little bit from what Paul wants to exhort us with. And so, <clears throat> continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here we see the conclusion of the main bulk of Paul's letter, which includes how the words to seek Jesus wholeheartedly, then to speak the name of Jesus 
And finally, to seizing your conversation with grace. So we're going to spend some time looking at seek, speak, and season. Um, these three ideas are packed into that little tiny uh, verses, the speak of seek, speak, and season. And we're going to spend most of our time in the first one because seeking God kind of bleeds into those other two. So what do we mean by seek? Well, seeking God, I believe, is the main focus is prayer. So he says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, before I unpack those three parts in that, that one line, we want to start at the very beginning and think about, well, what is prayer? Seeking God, what does that really mean when we say that? When we think about our Christian walk and our relationship to Jesus, prayer is the heart of that relationship. It's what keeps us bound to Jesus. So prayer is not simply just talking. It's rather worshiping God. It's connecting to God. It's seeking God. Prayer is the method by which we abide and rest in Christ. So you may be familiar with John 15. This is where Jesus talks about being the vine and we are the branches. And the whole reason or the whole job of the branch is to simply abide. So Andrew Murray, a theologian, says it this way. The life of the branch is a life of com close communion. Let us ask again, what has the branch to do? We know, or you know, that precious, inexhaustible word that Christ used, abide. Your life is to be an abiding life. And how is the abiding to be? What does it mean? It means close fellowship with Christ in secret prayer. Abiding. Abiding. Paul already unpacks a little bit of this throughout his letter calling us that we are, are in Christ. We are made alive in Christ. We are hidden with Christ in God. And so abiding, in a sense, can be both active and passive, right? We strive to rest. We look to further our ability to abide. But the abiding that we want to seek out is that sense of being in Christ. And that prayer is how we connect to God. Now, I don't want to usually do this, but I'm going to give you a pat answer on things. Usually in Christian life, we don't want to give the pat answer to questions that we come across. But here's my pat answer based off what Paul is saying. Prayer is perseverance, alertness, and thanksgiving. You like that? Thank you. Perseverance, alertness, and thanksgiving. We want to think about these sections of this particular exhortation to be, how do we persevere, stay alert, and be thankful? So perseverance, we usually think of that simply as never giving up. And so God calls us to continue to pray because we know he loves us and wants the best for us. Prayer should be almost as normal as breathing. Here are some verses that speak to that. In Romans 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. In Ephesians 6, and pray in the spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. And finally, 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now that last verse seems pretty impossible. Pray without ceasing. Now while I think one way to look at this is that Paul was writing to a group, to the church, so that in essence, we are all able to pray without ceasing because if one person's not praying, someone else in the church will be. 
But I also think that he's speaking individually about what does it mean to us to pray without ceasing? With only the help of the Lord Jesus, can we have that power to strive to keep praying? When you have a small, you know, a success at work, something good happens, is your immediate reaction to give thanks to the Lord? When you have maybe a, you know, flat tire or a fender bender or something, is your immediate response to go to God in prayer? Or even if your child has a small cut, a boo-boo, do you pray for them before you put that band-aid on? And then even finally, how do we even start our day waking up? There is a book I've been starting to read through. It's, uh, it's called Habits of the Household by Justin Whitmell Early. And in this, his whole point is how to develop those kinds of rhythms and those kinds of ways of, of incorporating this into your culture of your, of your family. But he starts with the very first thing, which is waking. And this is what he says in the section called waking. Waking from sleep may be considered a given, but waking to reality is not. When the first thing I do in the morning is to roll over and grab my phone and begin scanning work emails to wake, I wake up the, the monsters of performance. When I begin the morning in social media, I wake up the monsters of comparison and envy. When I begin my morning in the news headlines, the monsters of fear and anger jump through the screen. Habits of waking may be small and mostly unconscious, but they are never neutral. And that is why they are so powerful. I usually wake up with a head full of thoughts and questions. Though I am full of anxious thoughts about the day, saying a short prayer gently introduces a different reality. The backdrop of God's love and care for me, despite of all that I need to do. So here is your first connection in the morning to your phone or to your father. Is your first thought in the day, how do I make a joyful connection to my creator? And seeing this as an opportunity to relate to your dad, thinking of it more as a privilege than a command. And so we think of perseverance certainly as never giving up, but also included in that is an engaging, an engagement with God, the perseverance of engagement. In Genesis, we have a story with Abraham where there is a moment when God is already going to destroy some cities and Abraham goes to God and begins to question God and then even begin this kind of back and forth with God saying things like, well, if there's so many people who are righteous, would you still do this? If you go back and read that, it's not only fascinating to see how bold Abraham is, but also that God himself is in the moment thinking about, do I engage with Abraham? Do I allow him into this conversation at all? And we see actually that he does. He considers Abraham and actually treats him with honor. So God bestowed honor onto Abraham, letting him ask any of those questions. And in the end, this engagement demonstrates God's desire to have us partner with him. Even Jesus later says to his followers, I call you now friends, no longer servants. And so we have a, a whole new level of opportunity when it comes to prayer. When we persevere in prayer, it is an effort on our part to really engage with God and also be open to allow God to engage with us. So that's our first part, perseverance. The second, alertness. 
When I was in high school, uh, as all wise young high schoolers are, in my senior year, a friend of mine who typically came to visit me through my window popped in one night and said, we should go on a road trip. Let's go to Florida. <laughs> so I did. We, were, we drove, basically his goal was to get the whole way to the bottom of Florida, the Key West, um, in one as far as quickly as possible. And so we were driving an all night. Um, we suddenly stopped in about St. Augustine, somewhere along the line. Uh, we get out, we get back in the car, and I remember then we're driving and I get the nudge because I'm in the uh, passenger seat. I wake up and he's like, it's your turn to drive. <laughs> so I get into the driver's seat, driving down the very flat, straight road of Florida, doing the little nod thing, right? And then, you know, turning on the radio and doing another nod and rolling down the window. And then finally, the last was being woken up by the, the rumble strip, turning my wheel quickly to flip around into a line of trees that, praise God, there was this one spot without trees that our car is like, ended up landing in. Um, it was a lot of fun. My mother was so happy about that. When we're not alert, dangerous things can happen, right? When we're not alert, dangerous things can happen. So when we consider alertness in the Bible, we see a verse in Ephesians that says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. And then we have a verse in 1 Peter that even gives it more emphasis, where he says, be alert, be on watch, your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Prayer is battle. We are engaging in a warfare against evil when we're praying. And evil will fight back. It is not uncommon to see that when the church starts to pray, the problems start to arise. If we are seeking God to bring about redemption and hope, evil will fight against that but we have hope and victory in Christ. Being alert means being aware, right? Seeing past your own circumstances and seeing those around you. So when we see evil, we pray against it. When we see suffering and pain, we pray for healing. And as you pray with alertness, not only will God work in those situations, but also work in us. Praying with alertness is praying with faith, with awareness of the people around you. So Paul calls us, pray continually, pray with alertness. Now pray with thanks. In another book of Paul's in Philippians, he says this, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Being content. I read that, I'm like, what? How on earth is that even possible, right? But here in Colossians, we see kind of the way that that's possible. Littered throughout his, his book in Colossians, we see the words about thanksgiving and thankfulness and gratitude. Verse 1-3 says, We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. In 1-12, giving joyful thanks. In 2-6, overflowing with thankfulness. In 3, 15 to 17, be thankful, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, Jesus giving thanks. And now finally, we're at verse 4, 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Being thankful, the remedy to how to be content in any circumstance. 
But then we think about the verses I read a little bit earlier. First Thessalonians, excuse me, Thessalonians 5.17 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. But then we have a verse in Ephesians that says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Now here is the challenging question. Giving thanks in all circumstances, but also possibly giving thanks for all circumstances. Can you give thanks to God for the trials in your life, as well as your blessings. Here's a story I want to read to you that comes from uh, Corey Ten Boom, a woman who was uh, in the World War II who helped to save Jewish people but was arrested and imprisoned for doing that. And she was taken to a concentration camp. And this is what the story says. <clears throat> I and my sister Betsy were roughly pushed into barracks 28 at Ravensbrook, a work camp for prisoners. We stared at the stacks of wooden sleeping platforms crowded into the large room, only a narrow walkway cut between. The platforms were three deep and covered with dirty, stinking straw. There wasn't even enough room to sit up. We had just arrived by train along with hundreds of other prisoners crushed together for three days, 80 women in one freight car. Exhausted, we crawled onto the platform that I was assigned to. But within moments, I sat up quickly and bumped my head and said, Ah, fleas! And I jumped onto the floor. The place is crawling with fleas. I don't know if I can cope with living in such a terrible place. My sister Betsy said, Corey, I think God has already given you the answer. What was the verse that we read in the Bible just this morning? I pulled out the Bible from the bag that I wore around my neck on a string. In the dim light, I read 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Oh, Betsy, that's too hard in a place like this. Now, come on, Corey, let's try. What are we thankful for, my sister asked. Well, <clears throat> if we must be in this awful place, I'm thankful that we are together. And that the guards did not find your Bible that was hanging around your back, added Betsy. I nodded gratefully. Yes, and maybe we should thank God for how crowded we actually are here, because that way more women will hear the word of God when we read it out loud. That's right, Betsy said, her eyes dancing. And thank you, God, for the fleas. What? No, Betsy. I cannot thank God for fleas. There's nothing about them that's any good. Well, we'll just have to wait and see, my sister answered. Every day, we were awakened at 4.30 a.m. and forced to stand outside in the cold for a roll call, then worked on an 11-hour day. We were given black bread and uh, soup of turnip, thin soup of turnips for supper. The only thing that we had to look forward to was when we stumbled back to our barracks at night. Before we went to sleep, Betsy and I would open our smuggled Bible and read God's word to the other women. At first, we posted lookouts to keep watch for any guards. Anyone caught with a Bible would certainly be killed. But day after day passed, and no guards ever came into Barracks 28. Soon we were reading the Bible twice a day, and more and more women were able to listen, and no one bothered us. One day, Betsy grabbed my arm and whispered, I know why no one has bothered us about our Bible studies. I overheard one of the guards saying that none of them want to come into Barracks 28 because of the fleas. I wanted to laugh. All right, Lord, thank you for the fleas. Have you ever thanked God for a flat tire 
or standing in a long line at the grocery store or waiting in traffic? Have you thanked God when you might have had hard times with money and you were financially in trouble? Or have you even thanked God for some kind of trial and suffering you've endured? Now hear me say this, there are those atrocities we know that happen. And even Jesus, when in the garden, asked for that cup to be taken from him. But at the same time, we go then and read in Hebrews, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Did Jesus thank the God for the suffering in the garden? No, but later we see this verse speaking to a joy that somehow he saw at the end and the conclusion that far outweighed anything he was going to experience on the cross. He was going to be victorious and even put shame to shame through his endurance. So when we come to trials, can we thank God and see them differently? See a situation perhaps as an open door or something that you may not be expecting. As you go back and look at your list of column A and column B, Hopefully it's easy to thank God for those things in column A. We often do forget to thank him when things are going well. But it's easy when we say, let's think about our blessings to, to thank God for those things. But what about column B? Is there that person you're having a hard time with? Can you thank God for that person because he is teaching you how to love truly? Can you thank God for a difficult situation because you're seeing how God is developing your faith? At this moment, I would like to just take a little time for you to actually take a moment of silence to pray for those in column A, to thank God for those blessings, but also to thank God for those things that are difficult. Now, if you can't, because we can be real, it's difficult to sometimes thank God for some of those. Take time to pray for those situations and for those people and ask God for, your, for his help into drawing your heart closer to him. Now here are some verses to contemplate as we go to prayer. Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. In Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And as I prayed in the prayer earlier in 1 Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So let's take a moment to just pray quietly. Thank you, Lord. Amen. In the end, being thankful is the only way we can do that is through Jesus. The word Eucharist is kind of a different word we don't use around here, but it's the Lord's Supper. But the word actually, Eucharist itself, comes from the Greek Eucharistia, which means thankfulness. So in any situation, whatever we're facing, we can always come back to Jesus and be thankful for him. And anything we go through, we can thank Jesus for just being Jesus, our Lord and Savior who died and rose again. 
We can thank him that we are his children, that he loves us. We can thank him for being with us forever in, in anything. And we can thank him for the blessings of his strength and peace through his spirit. We can thank him in any situation. And so as we think about this, the last of the seeking part, remember that it's through prayer as we seek the Lord, but it's not just through the three things I mentioned. It's also sometimes lamenting. We can go to God with true grief in our hearts. It's repenting. It's praising as well as it is with the thanking. And as he says, if we seek him, he will be sure to let us find him. So that is our first point. Now, I know in my first service, some people are like, that was your first point. You're going to two more. Okay, trust me, these two next two points are shorter. But we've done seek. We're now looking at speak and season. In the next part of this passage, the speaking part, says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So here we see Paul saying something kind of extraordinary. There's three things here quickly to look at. First is that this is almost like a bookend to what Paul said at the beginning when he said to the Colossians, I thank God for you and I pray for you for all of these different things. Now he's at the end of his book saying to them, pray for me that I can do this work. Now, as we think about that, think about how extraordinary that is when we think of Paul being kind of like this amazing follower of Jesus who risked his life and lived a life for him. And then he's asking people who are probably new Christians, hardly understanding the gospel, to pray for him. But that's the kind of leadership we should have as well, to be able to seek out prayer, to know how much we need prayer, to be humble, to ask for prayer. So right now, I would actually like we have this uh, leadership training going on at church for about 80 to 90 people. Uh, if you're a part of that leadership, would you just stand up? It's an elder, the deacons, the elders and deacons in training, small group leaders of various kinds. Would you just please stand? We want to take a moment to pray for you. So I would love for anyone, if you're around these people and want to place your hand on them or just to extend your hand out towards one of these people, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer for the leaders among us. Lord Jesus, we thank you and thank you and thank you for raising up leaders among us. Lord, we pray a blessing upon these people who have laid down their lives in different ways to serve you. Jesus, we recognize that it's only through your spirit that these people can take the next step in their lives to love people, to serve you, to lead people through the word and through uh, relationships, helping to walk alongside people. Father, we pray a protection on them that you will also keep them from the temptations of this world as well as uh, those things that can easily build up pride. We pray against all of those things. We also pray protection on their lives, their families, that you will keep them healthy and strong so that they can continue to serve you. And Lord, we pray as a congregation that we would be quick to pray for those in leadership, that we would recognize that we are all in need of prayer, and those who are in the front lines need it even more so sometimes. So we thank you again for these who have been called by you. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Praying for the leadership. We hope that that is something that will be something on your heart to pray for. And then Paul doesn't only ask for prayer, but he asks specifically prayer for open doors to the word. <clears throat> Think about Paul's life. Back in Acts, 
he shared the gospel with as many people as he could. But when you go and look at those stories, it's amazing to see that he actually took very specific opportunities. We have a jailer who was about to commit suicide that he was able to share the gospel with. He ran into Athenians and saw the altar to an unknown God that he was able to use to share the gospel. He had kings specifically asking those pointed questions. He looked for and walked through those open doors. And then finally, declaring the mystery of Christ. That's what he wants to do clearly. The mystery of Christ, who is the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. <clears throat> he is the anointed one of the Jews, but the, also the king and ruler of the Gentiles, but even more so the rightful exalted one over all the cosmos. His message is radical. It was what he said, a stumbling block to the Jews and a foolishness to the Gentiles. And when I hear that, I think, wow, that's just what it is today, right? So his prayer is that we would, he would be able to declare those mysteries of Christ clearly. Now think about our opportunities today. Do you take moments in your day to pray for open doors? Those open doors could be almost anywhere at any time. It could be your barber or hairdresser talking to you about a difficulty like trying to buy a house or something that you want to be able to say, I, I'm praying for you with that. It could be a neighbor who's just having a tragedy that you want to offer help. It could be someone literally coming to you with questions. But those are the kinds of open doors that God can provide to you when we're open. And how do we pray not to be shy about that, but also to consider how to be clever, in a sense, of crafting our message to our audience. That's something Paul did in amazing ways. And that leads me to our last point. Season, to season our conversations. Paul said this, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, you ought to answer each person. Have you ever been to a restaurant where the food was bland? One time when I was even younger than my previous story, I was uh, wanting to make porridge for some odd reason, and my mother let me take water and plant a whole bunch of flour and just put it on the stove and boil it, and I took a bite and was pretty much gagging on that, and my mother eventually used it for wallpaper paste. So, bland. <laughs> what is the point of salt? to enhance flavors, to add zest, to transform food from that uh, inedible, possibly, or bland, to mouth-watering. So why does Paul use this as his metaphor? Starting conversations, speaking. Well, if we stop and consider starting with our own family, consider how we talk to each other, do we speak with our family with some wisdom and care? being creative, as well as even creating some fun, asking good questions, drawing out maybe some more complexities. So if we are thinking, how do we add salt even to those we love, then when it comes to adding salt to the conversations of outsiders who may not know Jesus, how can we be ready to ask those good questions, to explain things creatively, to listen to them before we react? And Often, what sometimes happens is we force the gospel, which can sound almost condescending or belligerent. Remember, Paul says here to season with salt, not cayenne pepper. So when we think about our friendships, our relationships, those in our lives, how do we introduce 
the love of Jesus so that it's appetizing. There's a book called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World by Rebecca Pippert. She says this, Our problem in evangelism is not that we don't have enough information. It is that we don't know how to be ourselves. We forget we are called to be witnesses to what we have seen and what we know, not what we don't know. The key on our part is authenticity and obedience, not a doctorate in theology. We have not grasped that it, is really, it really is okay for us to be who we are when we are with seekers, even if we don't have all the answers to their questions or if our knowledge of Scripture is limited. Are we able to just be ourselves in Christ before others? Are we seeking to season our conversations with both truth and grace? And how do we actually think about doing that? Another thing that happened to me long ago was when I was talking to someone about trying to share the gospel, and it was kind of taking a long, belaboring kind of time. It didn't seem to be going. The conversation, I was feeling awkward. Eventually, I just basically said, hey, can I just pray for you? And I took time to pray for the person, And after I said amen, he said, well, that was so much better than all the things you just tried to say. (laughs) Just the prayer by itself could have done probably more work than all the things we try to do. So if we seek Christ, abiding in him through prayers and prayers filled with thanksgiving, he will give us those words to speak in those calm, gracious, wise kinds of ways with truth and grace, and that will then season our conversations. Again, if we seek him, we will find him, and he will use us in incredible ways. Now, as we conclude today, we're going to do something a little bit differently. I'm going to ask right now that our prayer team, as well as the elders and elders' wives, to stand and make your way to just the sides or somewhere around in our uh, auditorium. So if you could do that. We are going to take time, usually at the end of our sermon, we say that there's a prayer room that you can go and pray, but we want to make this more of an opportunity even now. So that during our last song, if you have anything you wish to pray about. Now, again, sometimes we feel like we have to be going through a crisis to be asking for prayer, but really our hope is that this would be just a common thing. If you have things you wanna thank the Lord for, a person's name that you just have on your heart that you know you need to share the Lord with, If you have even something, a challenge you are facing or a lament, feel free to go around during this song. What we're going to do is sing, and as we sing, there will also be a time of just instrumental. And during that time, you should feel free to also go to a person or pray quietly at your own spot, praising God, thanking God, asking God for help. Let me just start us off with prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come to you recognizing how much we need prayer. Lord, it doesn't matter sometimes what we say if we say it out of an unkind or unloving heart. It doesn't matter how much seasoning we try to do. If we're not seeking you first in your presence and praying, so many of these things can go awry. And so, Lord, we pray that even now as people are here that they would recognize how you are ever-present. You are ever-faithful to us. No matter what we go through, no matter what the situation, you are here. So I just pray as we sing these songs and worship you with our hearts and we take time on our own to pray, you will meet us. Meet us here now in the name of Jesus. Please stand.
Thanks for listening. Feel free to connect with us on our website at covenantsdoylestown.org to watch live on Sunday mornings. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook.